you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film is playing the film festival circuit right now. It's called The Alternate. I'm going to be in Philadelphia this Saturday to watch the movie, October 16th. So if you're in the Philadelphia area, come out and watch the movie, and we can like grab a beer or a coffee or a sparkling water, whatever. It'll be fun. Anyways, let's take it away. I'm Liz Banishel. I'm a filmmaker who has made two features and currently in development about five more. And I'm making my short Halloween masks on the weekends that Alric is in Philadelphia. Don't come to my set. Don't invite me to drinks. I won't be able to come. I'm also a distribution consultant. He used to manage the creative distribution initiative at Sundance. This week, we welcome filmmakers and stars of the new film, What She Said, Jenny Lester and Juliana Jernis to talk about the making of the film and the pure determination and grit they called upon to get the film in the can. Because, I mean, we heard some gritty, tough stories of making a movie, but this is like maybe the grittiest and toughest. And like even my own experiences, I'm like, holy fuck, you guys, you did it, though. It's amazing. That comes first, but don't go away, because we are also going to talk about this whole deep fake casting debacle, which I truly think is a debacle. And I asked Liz some questions about her preparation for a short film, which shoots, yeah, the weekend I'm going to be in Philly in less than two weeks. But first, Liz, how are you doing today? A filmmaker that I'm working with had a film festival. I'm not going to out them. This film festival accepted them a month ago, notified them via film freeway. The filmmaker said something like, thanks so much. A month later, the festival contacts this person saying, we made a mistake. You're not in the festival. Wow. And it's like such a wonderful movie. And I hate this film festival now. I want to say who they are, but I'm not going to say. I'll tell you privately after the show. What what tier are they? Are they like upper mid, tier, mid tier, low mid tier? Mid tier, but not the bottom of the mid tier. Solid, good mid tier film festival. So I've heard of them. Good okay. reputation film festival. Okay. Crazy. How are you? I'm okay. Getting into more film festivals. We're at Scarefest in Kentucky on 24th of October. That's very exciting. I wish I could go. I don't think I can. I can't go to three film festivals in a row each weekend. Like that's just not fair to my daughter and to my wife. We're getting into more festivals. Bottom line. It's exciting. Yay. I sent my script to my short to a friend of mine who just came back from Fantastic Fest. And he was like, it's quaint. And it sent me into a tailspin to hear that my short was quaint. <laughs> it's quaint. like someone's penis falls off. It's not quaint. But the reason wow. I bring this up is because it made me have this realization that I can't chase what Fantastic Fest wants. I have to just make what I want. Wow. For some reason, I wasn't seeing that clearly. In an effort to make a somewhat graceful segue to our Patreon callouts, <laughs> if you want to hear more conversations like this or the interview that you're going to hear in a few minutes with the filmmakers of what she said, please support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. Also, if you're looking for additional ways to support the show, we are partners with the International Screenwriting Association, and it's an organization designed to help writers connect with filmmakers. And they also publish your log line to a network of industry professionals. They do consultation. They do contests. Go to networkisa.org, sign up for free today, and you could get a membership for $20 less than you normally would if you use the promo code MMIH2021 until November 30th. And that's for new ISA Connect members only. And then just going back to the Patreon thing, if you do support us, Liz has got some stuff she can send you. She's got a sticker for four bucks. She's got a pin 
for $9 while supplies last. So they're going to run out. And then when they do, we'll have to come up with something new. So when that happens, then maybe we'll have hats. Maybe we'll have t-shirts. We don't know. Wait, 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 wait. We have to thank Eamon Eels. Yes, we do. Eamon Eels, our friend. We love you, Eamon Eels. We want to shout out and do like a little party for you. He's our new Patreon supporter. We wanted to wish you happy birthday. We know it's not your birthday, but we want to celebrate you in a unique, spectacular, specific way. So we're just going to choose to say happy birthday, Eamon Eels. Thank you for celebrating the show. Thank you for being a partner with us as we make it. Yeah. And thank you for your hilarious emails, which we've read a couple on the show. They are so funny. They're so cryptic and hilarious. Liz loves them yes. too. <laughs> so thanks for sending us those. And we'll try to include them more on the show. The problem is they don't really ask questions. They just are funny. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. We got we have one thing to dig into, but yeah. Anyways, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. But without any more jibber jabber, let's get to our chat with Juliana and Jen. So whoever wants to, Russian roulette, who Ah! wants to give the elevator pitch for what she said? What she said is a dark tromedy about the aftermath of a sexual assault. And it's ultimately a story about healing and community and co-survivorship. And then how many days did you shoot the film? 18. And then we had one day of reshoots. What was the rough budget? It ended up being about 175 thousand but we didn't have like even probably 50 percent of that before we started making the movie and it kind of came in in post luckily saved the day and then how did you come up with the idea Initially, actually, the place was the first piece. It's the container of a story all in one setting. So it's her family's, her cousin's farmhouse. And I visited and I knew I wanted to make a story that took place there. And then when Me Too started taking off and I started reading lots of anonymous and non-anonymous stories about women and their stories, I was like, okay, but who were they before and after this one little piece that we know about them? So the two things sort of came together. How long did the project take from the very second you thought of it or found out that you had a farmhouse (laughs) until the release, which is has passed now? Yeah. So I think you visited the farmhouse in 2016, 2015. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that was like Thanksgiving 2015. And then me too. And like reading up on everything that was more like summer 2017. And then we shot in spring 2019. And then we released this September, this last September 14th, 2021. So the first like page of the script though was written in late 2017. So since then, really. Nice. Compared to all the other projects you've made, how difficult was it to make this one? (laughs) This was definitely the hardest thing we've ever done. Making movies turns out to be hard. Yeah. And We went in the most blind. We have since worked in film and TV a lot more, but this was like our first undertaking, really. We had made a pilot before that in LA and had support of like a great director and producer who kind of guided us. But this was the first time we, you know, led the charge and we did not know what we were doing at all. So it was absolutely the hardest thing ever. I'd say we did it on audacity alone. And, you know, since making it, so many people have said like, how many shorts did you guys have under your belt? <laughs> we're like, zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And people look at us too, like it's a fluke. They're like, what do you mean you made a feature? Yeah. Because 
I think we, you know, both had backgrounds as actors and didn't really understand this side of the industry that well, didn't know too much. And so when we meet filmmakers and they're like, who are you? What are you? We're like, we have this one thing. And uh, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, 140 minutes whatever or no how long is it 139 139 and they're just like what do you mean what do you mean (laughs) so yeah it's definitely the only thing we've really ever made (laughs) i want to brag because i never watch the films of the people who are on the show and i have seen this film and i love it (laughs) i know that i've seen this film and i love it so i just want to acknowledge that and for everyone to see this movie and support it i remember we talked a long time ago oh well you're welcome You're welcome. (laughs) I know we talked about this a while ago. And while you are A-list actors of many people's hearts, there's just this rhetoric going around in indie film production and distribution about the value of cast and how we can't really make the movies we want to make anymore. We have to be reliant on this absurd ecosystem in order to put films together, in order to finance them. So I just want to ask you, like, you know, you said the film is made on audacity. Maybe it's just conviction, maybe a better, a better word, I don't think. But how do you figure in the fact that you just decided to make it with yourselves and your friends who are all just fantastic actors? I know that sounds like ridiculous because that should be something we should be making content that way, but it seems like no one is. So I'd love to hear you talk about that. We both come from the theater and I would say 75 80% of the actors in the film are theater actors. That's really our background and that's really our community. And there's so much of that in theater of like, let's put on a show in the barn. Like that's what you do. So it made sense to us. And all along the way, people were saying, get some names in there, get some names in there. And we tried a little, but we, that wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing to us was telling a story. And as theater artists who sort of found our way to filmmaking we our film school essentially is lynn shelton and mark duplass and who else but you know like that is the sort of language of our schooling is all of those indies that we're obsessed with so yeah Yeah. ensemble pieces yeah we came to love yeah like greta gerwig and and oh no bombach yeah we watched all of their early stuff and we were in college together and knew that that was our style i also think though that the reason this movie was made was because of our naivete and our like, like we didn't really know what we were getting into, but we did have an idea and we had a place and a couple things were lining up. Like we met this woman who told us about Seed and Spark. So we were like, let's just try to pitch it, you know, to the masses a little bit more. And then we got some money and then we're like, I guess we have to do something with this money. And, <laughs> but it was like, we didn't really know. We, were, we didn't really know like what the next step was. And we we're just kind of like holding this torch and some people were like jumping in and joining our parade. But it's more frustrating on this side of it now, trying to get people to watch it and care because... I mean, the feedback from the people who've seen it, and I mean, like yourself has been overwhelmingly positive and like hearing from survivors, especially is so important to us and so moving always. And yet we don't have a single star. And so many people are like, oh, you guys will be the stars. And we're like, yeah, but that doesn't help us right now. (laughs) Right now we need some people (laughs) plugging this. So it's really hard right now trying to get it to people's eyeballs. Just to kind of circle back to that question a little bit more, like you said, you're all theater actors and from a theater background, that's who you got to be in the movie. But was there ever an attempt to get a name in any particular role? Or was it just like a conscious decision? Like when people brought that up to you and like from the beginning, like, no, we're just not doing that. We had a connection to a casting director who was 
reaching out to people and we got a couple no's and then a couple no responses. No, we got a couple of bites and then we actually shot right at the height of pilot season. Remember that? So we had a few people pull out. Okay. I'll remind you later. But there were like, you know, working people who would have been at least some B-list names more so than the, but you know what? Scrappy band of nobodies is sort of are. And I don't think if anyone with like even a B-list name, if any of them had actually come to the farm and seen like the mud pit that this production was, they would have been a little concerned. <laughs> That's probably the best. We did this when, I mean, I don't know if the earlier conversation is going to make the show. So I just want to reiterate it for everyone listening. So can you state your name so people know your voices and your role on the film and what you did? And then also your director was a first time filmmaker, right? And, and can you talk a little bit about how you found them? Yeah. My name is Juliana and I was the producer, editor, and one of the actors in What She Said. I'm Jenny Lester and I wrote the film, produced it, and starred in it. And our director, her name is Amy Northup, and she is actually my cousin. And she also came from a theater background. And that idea just made sense to all work on it collaboratively together. Jenny and I had just moved to New York and Amy lived here. And we would go sit at her bar all the time that she worked (laughs) at and like bounce around ideas. And then one day we were just like, oh, this is it. And And this is the team. And of course, she's like, what the story is, she's a very vocal survivor of sexual assault and works in prevention and works in a number of organizations. So between that and her background as an actor and theater director, it it all sort of made sense. Yeah. And now she works primarily also in the city as an intimacy coordinator. It was just the right fit all around. And had she at least made some short films before this or was she also a first timer? (laughs) She was still basically a first timer. She had acted in a couple films, like a couple indie films like that. I love it. Yeah. Fantastic. I want to sort of get granular in the building of the movie, basically of getting ready for production, because I feel like this is where a lot of filmmakers kind of stumble and kind of give up or postpone. We shouldn't say give up, postpone their productions. What did you do, you know, when you're first kind of getting started in order to like get the confidence and like the momentum to actually get the movie shot? I was going to say too, uh, just to piggyback on the last question and like transition into this question, a huge part of the puzzle was Alexa, our DP, because she came with a ton of people who had made films before she had her own team. We also had an almost entirely female and non-binary crew, which was huge and important to us in telling the story. We interviewed a bunch of DPs and a bunch of them were like, I love narrative. I love storytelling. I'm story first. And we were like, great, amazing. And then Alexa was like, I'm all about lighting. And we were like, oh yeah, yeah, her, her, we can handle the story. <laughs> it's, it's the technical stuff we have no idea about. So that was a huge piece of it mm-hmm. coming together. And then she filled out the crew from there. So you want to talk about it? Yeah. Well, also to answer your question, we finished our Seed and Spark campaign. We were runner-ups for the Hometown Heroes Duplass Brothers competition. And that was like surprisingly successful. We made like almost $40,000 and we were like, okay, we can do this. And then we had some interviews. We found Alexa. I went down with Alexa and Amy in 
December, like November, December of 2018, we knew we needed to like scout a couple things and kind of like suss out like what is going to make the most sense. And she was all gung ho to like go and was very, very curious. And she was guiding me, you know, that was something that I was like, oh yeah, we should do that first. (laughs) Um, So we all went down there and luckily my uncle he is well connected in the community so he was like oh you should check out this bar because like you guys have a bar scene you should check out you know this street because it's pretty that kind of thing so we were able to really scout the area and my biggest piece of advice would be to get to know the bar owner in town if you're in a small town because she connected us like she was the most resourceful person and she connected us to everything that we needed because she knows everyone because everybody goes to the one bar in town so I would be like I need a courtroom and during the making of the film was during that government shutdown in early 2019 the government was literally shut down so we couldn't get through on the phones to the courthouse in town. And she goes, oh, the county clerk is a, is a regular at my bar. Let me give him a call. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, and she also knew like a couple of, of the other like store owners in town. And we ended up shooting at like another store. And she also connected me with like product placement of local distilleries. That was an entirely vital piece of the puzzle to get like a bunch of other things to align. And it was also a good way to like get into the community and tell them what we were doing and why we were making it there. And then we saw more and more support coming in locally and people wanted to be involved. And that definitely gave me the impetus to be like, okay, we, we have this, we can do this. I know we're still like finding the funds, but we have enough and we have like, you know, enough support locally that we need to at least try. Yeah. And support locally came in the form of like, you know, okay, we may not have the money, but we got a write up in the local paper. And then we got an email from a woman who was like, Hey, I have a vacation home there that I'm going to retire to, but it's empty. I don't live there yet. So there's four bedrooms if you need to put up crew, just stuff like that, which was insane. Local, local, local tap in and yeah, you will be surprised. (laughs) Shout out to Beth. I guess a corollary to what Auric is asking is like, why walk blindly into something like this? Is it the power and allure of a feature film? Is it as actors and writers and producers, you having a longer form project? What do you think pushed you forward to get it done? Well, definitely that. And I'm going to be like a snobby brat, but half the time I'm like, why am I watching this? Like when something is 10 minutes, you know, or 20 minutes when it's a short, it's sort of, I understand the sort of trajectory of why you would do that as a filmmaker. But I don't know, we we do full length plays and we do these things. And it, this story to us was so complete and could not be told in a proof of concept or it, it just wouldn't have made sense shorter. And, and so we sort of went like, if we're going to, we're sort of, we are this way though, in general, like we're all in, like we're in or out. There's no, oh, let's see, let's muck around and see. And also we sort of had no other choice. It felt like, because we weren't getting work as actors. It's really hard in the city and we weren't really wanting to be in writer's rooms or be on other people's projects. And we didn't know where we fit in a production sense. We've since learned how to produce and all that. So we went, we have a story, a complete story from A to Z. Let's make it. And that was that was it. I also think it wasn't just the allure of making a feature. It was the drive of working on the sidelines of the industry for a while. We were both assistants in LA. I worked for music exec. She worked for a playwright and my arm was like kind of in the industry and being touched by other people in the industry. But I felt like I wasn't fully 
I didn't have like the real invite and it weighed on us so much. So we quit our jobs and we we're like, okay, we have to do something if we quit. And like, that was the trajectory that everybody tells you you need to be on. You start as an assistant and go from there. And we kind of like cut those ties to move on with our lives. And we were like, okay, this is the best way to do that. And we had, you know, in the back of our heads, so many experiences as assistants where we were told like, this is your place. You are small. You are like not capable to make anything grand. We don't trust you. You're too young. All of these things. And that kind of led us to wanting to show off. Yeah. And not to mention also all of the experiences. I like your metaphor of the arm. I always say it's like, for me, it's like being on the other side of like a glass window pane where you're like knocking and you're like, I'm right here. Like, hello. But the other thing about it was we learned so much on the jobs and we had so many people on those jobs telling us all the time, this is the way things are done. This is the way things are done. So at every turn of this movie, we said, it does it have to be like, that was our driving force was, does it have to be done that way? And the answer 99% of the time was no. And that's something that I have since taken as a producer and utilized in all of and everything that I work on. I'm like, there is another way. And there's, there's just so many people out there who are convinced and have like told themselves like, this is the one way that something works and, and how it is done. And that leads to being really inflexible to actually solving problems. And I know that especially with what's happening with IATSE right now and everything and all of this hate on producers coming up. And I listen and I look at that and I'm like, yeah, there's like something off here where people aren't working together and where we don't need to be butting heads. And there's a version where you can be a little bit more supportive as a producer. And that was something that I learned the hard way by going into making this and not knowing how to do it. And I'm listening to this. I will say like my, as producers, my proudest moment of this film is not the product, which I love, but it's the way the crew got along and the support and the fact that we did mess some things up in the beginning real bad. We made the crew real upset right off the bat, not because we wanted to, but because we didn't know what we were doing in certain ways. And they literally sat us down, some of the crew heads and said, this is not okay. And here's why X, Y, and Z, we need blah, blah, blah. And we fixed it by the next day. And they came to us after and said, like, we've never been on a set where we've been listened to and this has been fixed so fast. So thank you. And we were like, yeah, we just didn't know what we were doing, but we want to make everyone happy. So do you feel comfortable telling us exactly what that was? And maybe some of the other things that you did differently (laughs) that people recommend that you do that you're like, no, we don't need to do that. Well, I have been given a little bit of conflicting information on like what you need to provide the crew with based on both of our funds and what I thought made the most sense. The location was like really complicated to shoot in. And the first day when everyone showed up, I think there was either like a really bad storm or it was raining or there was snow. I'm not, I don't really remember, but we had some trouble getting the crew up the hill in vehicles because the weather was really bad. And so we like asked everybody to walk up this hill and it was very cold (laughs) and everybody walked up the hill and they were in horrible moods. It's probably like a half a mile walk, uh, maybe a little less, but that was my like, you know, solution at the time, everybody get out and walk. And obviously that was when people are working 10 hours, that was probably not the best choice. And then I figured out, I actually hired a local farmer to basically be our like transportation PA. And he 
figured out a system with this one van and he had like better vehicles to use. And we were able to then fix that. And then also because the crew was housed in a couple different places, because we did have people offer up their homes. And then a couple of us were staying on the farm. And then the bulk of the crew was staying at another location that was 30 minutes away. I thought it made the most sense to wrap and fill everybody's fridges with dinner food in their kitchens. And that was a big no-no as well, because everybody just was like, we're really tired. These days are long. And it was cold. Yeah, it was a it was a very, very cold, brutal weather experience that we had. And they were just like, please just feed us before we go. Yeah, we just want like a hot. They were like, even if it's a piece of pizza, like we want a hot meal before we get back in the van to drive 30 minutes. We're like, that makes so much sense. Like we just thought you'd want to get home. So yeah, so it was just a couple logistical things on like how to make people a little bit more comfortable in really difficult conditions. You know, it wasn't perfect. And there were definitely, there was definitely like some negativity around just like the complex logistics of filming in a farm in winter where like also, you know, the house that we were actually shooting the bulk of the movie and didn't have heat. And also the pipes burst on day one and I was sleeping there. So like every, everyone is like off. Also, we put them up in a gorgeous like off season resort that happened to be off season. It was like a wedding resort. So like the, the housing was really, really nice and comfortable. And then I was sleeping in the actual character's bedroom and the pipes had burst. So I was like brushing my teeth with a pitcher in the morning of water. And then like they would store, store gear in there and I'd be like, oh yeah, I just have to like get my contacts case so I'm just gonna like crawl and like and I was just like I was like this is how you make a movie just keep but honestly at that point I was like if everyone else is happy like then we're fine the two of us can deal with like basically rustic camping but we also (laughs) did have the farmer that I hired farmer John what a star he was just constantly making wood fires in the other home like in our green room to keep people warm so there were a couple things I was like okay cool I need to know to replenish the wood I need like people need to be comfortable and these are the steps that need to happen for that to and she's also so good in the movie <laughs> i blacked out every Amazing. time the camera was on i definitely i blacked out <laughs> I want to ask about, first of all, I think actors are enigmatic, intimidating figures. Like I get very nervous around actors and I always think I'm going to say the wrong thing on set that's going to like shut them down and then they're going to resent me for the next 20. These are thoughts that go through my head. (laughs) But you've written the script and you're producing and you're acting and you have this like, I don't know if the word is unfettered or untethered, but you have this wonderful you can inhabit the role in however ways you want to with this. And I just want to know, did that help? Did that help the process of performing? And how else did you set up the set for acting and for your co-actors in a way that you didn't get in other projects where you were working within the system? I would say for me, at least I, I didn't go into it with that attitude. I actually was very stressed right at the beginning because also coming from the theater, I'm like used to a long rehearsal process. And, you know, I'd done like little three line parts where whatever, but like to have that much of a role without the confidence of a rehearsal process behind me was really stressful. And one day, like early on, I was talking to Jerry L who plays Megan. And I was like, you know, I feel really bad on my, I'm like being hard on myself. Like, I feel really like I haven't done my actor homework. Like, I just feel really behind. And she just looked at me and she goes, you did your homework and everybody else's homework. (laughs) And I was like, oh, right, right. I did so much homework. Like, I know this character inside and out. So at a certain point that carried us through. As far as like making, I mean, 
I think there was something really kind of magical about being trapped in this place with very little service in the freezing with wood fire, like, you know, fires going all the time where it sort of became a family affair, like the actors and crew co-mingling. We had one little room for everyone to stay in when we weren't shooting. So I think that is really translating to what the film is with all these people on top of each other in the cold. So I think that transitive property of that, it just art became life became art. Mm -hmm. I think for me, because I was in full producer mode, clueless producer mode, um, trying to just make sense of everything. And I was so focused on that literally like the day before we started, I drove a three ton truck from Brooklyn to Virginia. Oh yeah. We had no PAs. And and I was basically the PA. So yeah, I didn't realize how important they were. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, where can we cut corners? Let's have no PAs. (laughs) So I was just like, you know, in that headspace the entire time. And I remember the night before we were going to start shooting, I went to Amy, the director, and I was just like, I am screwed. Like, I also am so unprepared. My head is spinning and I don't know how to like relax and live into a role right now. And she was just like, you don't have to know all of Harper today. And that was really essential for me to be like, wow, okay. It's not my ideal situation, but because I do not have the time, like I can take Harper one scene or a couple scenes at a time and delve in that way. And that really saved me because it just took pressure off for me because, you know, also coming from the theater and yes, the rehearsal process is so meaty and juicy. And (laughs) I was expecting to have the opportunity to do that at some point to fit that in the schedule. (laughs) You Um, made the schedule. (laughs) Yeah. And there's too many other things to be done. And yeah, so I would probably not want to produce and act in this way again. I would need more resources and not to be the PA. But if I had more structure to the production as a whole, I think I could probably manage it and, you know, find a new version of digging into a role and getting things done. Amazing. I love hearing these stories because a lot of this resonates with me and making my first feature, like, you know, doing PA stuff, driving to Los Angeles to pick up lights and trying to figure all this stuff out right before you're like shooting your movie. (laughs) It's a lot. We actually just had our premiere too. And like we brought the step and repeat and we were like setting it up in our like heels before the movie and we we're like oh it's never gonna end never, no this is it that is so <laughs> funny. amazing well i wanted to zero in on another thing that i shared in my movie was not having the budget before we shot you know or not having the whole thing but then securing just enough to actually green light the movie two weeks before i'd already confirmed everybody from schedules for yeah. the shoot <laughs> I just want to know, like, how did you guys deal with that? And like, what was your situation? Did you just not reach the number you were supposed to reach? And then you just said, we're going to shoot anyways. Or like, how did you guys do it? It was really bad. And I don't recommend anyone doing it this way. And luckily, I don't know, we're cute. And somehow it worked out. Like, I, I, like, I'm truly flabbergasted. But essentially, we had like, you know, $40,000 in the bank. We had one producer come on who had made a couple movies at that point. And he was, you know, pretty convincing. He was like, the money will come the money will come this project makes sense and has longevity and it will come and we should say we were we wanted to make the 40 and the seed and spark and then have 100k of investment so our budget was 140 at the time at the time but that's because we had never thought of post (laughs) (laughs) we didn't know that cost money so so 
so yeah, so we had the 40 and then we had a structure set up for investment and we had two of the 10 investors that we needed. Yeah. And he would, and Zach, Zach Spicer was the producer who came on to kind of guide us through what investment structure looks like and how you can package that. So we, you know, set up to have investors. And then, yeah, so we had only gotten two at that point. So we had like 60 something thousand dollars and everyone, like everyone was just like that. We were, you know, asking advice from or whatever, they were all like, that's enough. Like you need you, if you want this to happen, you have to start booking things and booking crew and just assuming that it's going to happen. And I don't know if that was the best piece of advice. I also Um, don't know that it happened. Like we would, I mean, this is what this podcast is about. Like we would not recommend this, but we finished the majority of the film on personal credit cards. (laughs) So at that point, you know, we had 60 something thousand dollars. We were about to go down to Virginia. Jenny and I knew we were a little bit screwed. And we also didn't tell anyone. That was the other thing. It's like, we didn't, our UPM didn't know. No one knew except for the two of us the whole time. So, oh my God, I hope Eden never listens to this. Sorry, Eden. Because at one point she was even like, hey, can you share the budget with me? Because like, I would love to help you. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I got it. Um, (laughs) So then then, um, I was like, Jenny, I was like, let's start applying for every credit card that exists. So we were like, and at this point we had moved out of our apartment, gotten sublets because we couldn't afford rent because we weren't working and we were staying at our parents' place and applying for credit cards. I didn't know that you get, that your credit gets dinged every time you apply for a credit card. And I just kept applying for the same one. I was like, well, let's try again today. So I probably applied for 20 credit cards. We both got a few and we were like, okay, this will cover, you know, like the rental costs for our vendors in New York for gear and things like that. And we asked Amy for a $5,000 loan. I remember too, like right at the top, we were like, we're putting some credit on. What do you want to do? And she was like, here, take this and just give it back when you can, which we did. We did. So at that point we were like, okay, we have like maybe around a hundred thousand dollars, maybe a little less to play with. And uh, I think something that we also realized was getting investors is virtually impossible if you have nothing to show. And we were working really hard on pitch materials, had really like sweet packets. Yeah. <laughs> like lining, like just explaining everything, but they were a little elementary, I think. Well, because and if with nothing, you're right. Yeah, we just had nothing, but we believed in this story and what we were going to make and yeah, audacity, I suppose. So we started shooting and I realized how expensive payroll actually was every week and realized we didn't have enough to pay everyone for the third week of production while we were in the middle. This was like around week two. And I was like, we don't have like those. It's not going to work. And so so, it was also, it was, I remember the night of a day, everyone had Monday off. We wanted to keep everyone happy. So we bought tons of beer. The music was playing the board games. Like everything was going on by the fire. Everyone was having the time of their life. And we were in a closet crying, whispering and like crunching numbers because it was the only place quiet we could go. (laughs) Also, there wasn't a lot of service in the area. So we were basically the three of us, us and Amy were like, okay, we need to make some calls and ask for loans from people. people. So I called my brother. She called her sister. I called like my old bosses from, you know, like my assistant days. And I also knew that like, this was very sensitive and shouldn't be like talked about in front of people. So I was like pulling off at the side of the road 
at the one place where I could find service to call them. And we were just lying. And it was really scary. We ended up having enough money to pay everyone who invoiced us. And then luckily a couple lazy people didn't invoice us for a couple more weeks, (laughs) which was great. So we didn't have to pay them right away. And by the end of production, we were talking to more people who were curious about investment. So we were like, okay, some of these might come to be in the next couple of weeks and we'll be okay. And then at this point, we sent everyone back to New York, including our 15 person passenger van that literally like had a couple windows broken, was covered, covered in, in mud. <laughs> they laughed at us at the, wow. at the return vehicle rental place. They were like, we've never seen something come back this badly. <laughs> and, but that it was like, it was a very dumpster fiery kind of moment where we were like, okay, there's truly nothing we can do. We're going to be charged thousands of dollars. I am so weary and tired that that's just going to be what it is. And we're going to deal with it when we get the bill. And right now we have to clean the farm back up. It was just, there were so many things piling up. And then the whole financial thing was definitely like taking a toll on us, but secretly. So So then the two of us and Amy stayed. And also we wanted to respect the fact that it was a family farm. So the three of us stayed, the place was like, not trashed in a way like people were disrespectful, but trashed in a way like we shot in a tiny house with 26 people in the middle of winter. So it's covered in a layer of mud. Like, (laughs) and everyone still talks about the blue booties because we're like, let's get medical blue booties to like put over to like try and keep it clean, but they didn't work. And they just wound up like flying everywhere. All over the trees. Yeah. I was climbing trees <laughs> to collect the blue booties. So oh we, we wound up staying, scrubbing up everything, finished on the stopgap loans. And then we still didn't have a, our apartment back. And we went, okay, we have so many credit card points now. What are we going to do? So we took the points. We bought flights to LA. One way. One way. We bought. <laughs> we, got, we were partly like, we should run away. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we got away with murder. No, we got we to gotta flee. So then we got three weeks of a rental car on these. So all, all on points on the credit cards. And then we went and we knew we had people who believed in us there. We had a couple, we just had ideas and everyone was like, where are you going? We're like, we're going to LA for pitch meetings. We just said that, but it wasn't really true. And then somehow miracles happened. We went to LA, we spent a week and a half cutting a rough trailer, trailer, an investor trailer, which was, and it had obviously no coloring, no sound mixing, nothing. It was just a very, very rough trailer. And we started sending it out to people and getting meetings. And about a month later, we had almost all of our investors. It was insane. The Million dollar question, and I have to go in four minutes, so I might not not get to hear the whole thing, but please tell us, was it worth it? Was all of this worth it? Was the pain and suffering worth it? Yeah, I think our lives would not be the same. We would be, our lives would not be the same. We would not be the same people, not in the same place. And we wouldn't have an incredible product that only reminds us that we should keep going. Yeah. And, and the people who we made it for survivors and women and the people that it's touching. I mean, every single time someone says, thank you for making this movie. I go, okay, yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> so I, I think, yes. But it definitely, you know, obviously based on that story, like it was not easy at all. And it took a long time for us to both recover. Like yeah, our bodies were wrecked. Our nervous systems were shot. Like we were, we were, we were on this really adrenaline high for so long that we both crashed. Yeah. <laughs> but we did, we did get back to New York though. And she was like, what's this blue tub in the apartment when the, the sublets were gone and we were finally back to our apartment. She's like, what's this blue tub? And I was like, I was like always thinking, open it up. And she goes, what? And I had saved all the snacks from Crafty because we didn't have any groceries. Yeah, so we just had so like granola bars and. <laughs> and 
We were so broke that I literally like packed a bag to take to LA when we took basically our drives, like a couple sweaters and all the crafty so we could eat while we were there. Wow. So we were eating granola bars, like staying on at friends' apartments. We also stayed, her old boss had another office space that had a pull-out couch. So we were staying there. It didn't have any towels though, <laughs> which we didn't know until we, after we got out of the shower. But yeah, it was basically like a completely empty space just with my bed. bed. And yeah, we just kind of like floated around and met a couple people by the skin of our teeth that were like, hey, I believe in this. Send me the trailer. And we're like, okay. Yeah. It worked out. We felt our knees do. I remember the first 40K came in all at once, sort of, of the investment after that. And we felt our knees. We screamed, we cried, and then we immediately paid off credit cards. (laughs) Like it was just in and out within an hour. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, I think this is a perfect place to end the conversation. We're going to do our final five questions. We're going to have you both answer each of these questions. Liz, are you going to leave now or? I'm leaving. I'm just going to go. This is amazing. (laughs) Bye, hear the rest later. Yeah, can't wait. Bye. So, what was the first film you ever made, and how do you feel about it now? And this is could be film you produced, it could be a film you you were acted in, whatever you guys want. First film I ever made, I made a horror film (laughs) called Pitting Plums. Uh, Is this when you're like (laughs) twelve? Nice. Like, I produced that. I acted in that. I wrote that. And yeah, it's basically my cousins and I saw Red Eye in the movie theater and we were like, we can make our own version. <laughs> so um, yeah, I made a horror film. It's on VHS somewhere. And I'm still really proud of that one. Then, you know what? I will go with the same thing. I took a film class in sixth grade. I don't remember the title, but I do remember we were all the mean girls and we were bullying this girl and we hated her. And then we invited her out to a sushi dinner. It was like a carry. And we basically, we basically, it was a hibachi situation where they flung the shrimp in her mouth. And so she choked it up. <laughs> and it was like supposed to be a carry. So I'll say that. But one. then we met at each, met each other and realized what we really should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta start somewhere. <laughs> so what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Honestly, I think it was from Eden when we were shooting our UPM. She was just like, you need to buy your crew beer. You need to make them happy and they will do what you need them to do. Yeah. I second that. And that is something that I have taken with me on every job ever. It's like, you have to make like these hours are ruthless and everyone is tired all of the time. It's very hard to live a sustainable, healthy lifestyle in production in that world all the time and you have to protect people and then they will work for you in a way that actually is functional and without negativity and disdain and yeah that's probably the best advice i've ever gotten and in the same vein i will say that this was actually a theater director but it was a advice on directing and i think it totally spills over and it was like you are only as strong as the lowest person on the totem pole in the back of the room who's having a bad day. So like, if you are in charge of a a room, a community, a set, you need to know how everyone is doing and check in and and make sure you know what's going on with your cast and crew. Nice. Do you have goals as filmmakers? Yeah. I mean, collectively together, we have a lot of projects up our butts. (laughs) 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 Is that the expression? Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, we would love for our empire to only grow and get to a point where we are doing more of what she said type projects with more money. But it's been a while since, I mean, it hasn't really been since that shoot that Jenny and I have like been at the helm of something together. And I think that is like my happiest place. Working for other people is great when I like the, the work and the project and the people. But I think we have a lot of stories that we really want to tell. And the only way we can do it is if we're at, you know, if we're at the front. And namely by women, about women, for women, um, passing the mic and amplifying other voices is our ultimate goal in storytelling. And then also I think really a personal goal, and I think I can speak for both of us, is the story and the product is only as strong and as important as the room it was created in. So on any project that we helm, creating a very safe space and a space in which people feel comfortable to fail and to speak up and to bring their most authentic selves is really the long-term goal. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourselves? Slow down. Ask for help. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I love it. That was great. And then final question, is making movies hard? It's also magical. I don't think there is anything harder in the world. And I got my first white hair in this process. <laughs> There's only one, but I got it during this process. So many new wrinkles. <laughs> if you want to be wrinkly, make movies. <laughs> yes. I can attest gray hairs definitely come when you do this kind of work for sure. So final, final question, where should people go to see the movie? You know, do you have a website? Is it on certain platforms that they should follow? Like, how could they see this film? It is on our website, shallow-graves.com. And that has a link to all of the places you can watch it, which include Amazon, iTunes, Roku, Voodoo, Vimeo, anywhere that's a rental platform. Apple TV. You can see it at the moment. And please see it and leave a review if you like it. And if you don't, if you don't like it, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always wishful thinking for, for some, I think. We've been so surprised. I mean, I have a friend who was like, you know, you getting any sort of negative response from this movie means that it's a good movie and it's a real movie because you're not just getting your mom to say, <laughs> 10 stars, yeah. there you are, stars. So yeah, we have had a swell of responses of all kinds from people and it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel like the worst thing you could ever do is make a movie that everyone says is okay. Yeah. Then it's like, yeah. oh God, terrible. But if like some people love it and then some people hate it, it's like that, you know, you made something interesting, you know? Totally. The worst, I think the worst thing in the world is mediocrity yeah. or being it's all called- about the lovers and the haters. Katie. Yeah, I totally agree. We have my favorite troll comment so far on YouTube has been seems weird and boring, but in 4k. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, throw some respect on the 4k. And that says woke and broke, which I don't even know. Like, does that mean like, okay, we made a woke project, but these girls are probably broke because that's all true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so <I'm> great. <laughs> like a good idea, but you should have had more money. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, also we have, we've had some really nice ones, but obviously it's more humorous than 
<laughs> I think woke and broke it. I would. I don't think that's necessarily that bad of a one. That's you know. It's like no. oh, you guys are doing good things. You just you need more support. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and the most recent one, which just said feminist tribe, and I went yes. Uh, that one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. So, Liz, what did you remember from our conversation with Jenny and Juliana? So they're clients, by the way. Oh. This is before I became like a formal sales rep. I introduced them to their distributor and supported them and just kind of gave them a consultation. And I really fell in love with these women. I think that they've got so much at spa and so much bravery. And I didn't know half of what they told us. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Like grits and determination got them through. And I was so impressed by the like weird, scary gray area they lived in for months, which I don't think I would have been able to withstand. What about you? Yeah, I would definitely wouldn't have been able to withstand that. I mean, I I was at a point where if I didn't get to my number, we just weren't going to make the movie. And like, luckily I got to that number. And then it was like this really incredible thing that didn't happen for these women. But for me, I got to the bare bones number and then we got the rest like within two weeks. It just all flew in. Like, I don't know how the hell that happened, but it just did. I mean, part of it was from the seed and spark, but then we got like another big chunk from a person who was like hemming and hawing. And then they like went in once we got to that number. And so I think the train was was moving. I think so. I think so. And then even one of our investors put more money in without us asking. He was like, yeah, I really believe what you guys are doing. You're doing a great job. I'm going to give you some. (laughs) Bless that person. Oh man. But no, back to Jenny and Juliana. I mean, geez, what a conversation. I mean, there's a photo that they sent of them pushing their U-Haul out of a big mud puddle that I think I really want to be the hero image. Although you can't see their faces. It's just too amazing. But, it's like they're just in a mud puddle pushing this thing. It's like, But what? they're so self-aware. That's what's so funny is like, I think they're like, this is for the memoir. We're going to document this moment for the memoir. <sighs> Yeah. And I love that they are such great storytellers about the story of making the film. In addition to the film itself, by the way, what she said is really a wonderful movie and people should check it out. Yeah. But yeah, I hope you guys like the conversation as much as we did. And Liz, you got some news for us? I do. We're going to talk about a, an article that Eric, our producer, the unseen producer, the unheard producer that we keep talking about over and over again, Eric Toms, he sent us an article about deep fake casting. And the article is from express.co.uk. And the article focuses on how James Dean got cast in a new film and his performance will be completely created by CGI. But my favorite line in the whole article is, let me just read this to you. Originally, a recreated young Paul Newman was considered for the part, but now Dean will be the sole CGI character. And I just love how it's like, even in like CGI world of Hollywood, there are like weird political rejections and edging out of talent and replacements. It's like you have the opportunity to recreate someone, yet you still have to switch casting halfway through. Like this is Hollywood through and through. Yeah. The other thing about it was originally going to be Elvis and then Elvis Presley's estate turned it down. And so then they got James Dean and they were trying to get Newman in this other role. So it was going to be James Dean and Paul Newman in a movie together. And it's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing did you watch the critic <laughs> why are you doing this did you ever watch the, no, critic, watch the, the TV critic? show? it was my favorite show oh a little bit yeah Do you ever, um, they have like the ted turner fake ted turner guy on oh, it 
and his machine of like turning the endings of films happy. It was like they show Casablanca, (laughs) Elsa jumps out of the plane and Sam jumps out with her with the piano or something. And it's like, oh, oh, that's how Casablanca should end. That's what this feels like. Like, don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't. So we already have a problem, right, in the world of filmmaking where only certain actors are getting opportunities. There's like, you know, 1% of actors that are alive in the world are getting the chances to be in these movies. And there's like, you know, thousands or at least, yeah, I would say thousands of great actors out there who aren't getting chances because of the way the industry is structured. And now you're going to bring motherfuckers back from the dead to take more of the slots away from these great hardworking actors that are alive? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, what the hell? This is like the Irishman thing. My wife, Beth, was so pissed. She can't oh, really. I like Irishman. I didn't mind the Irishman thing. I wasn't bothered by that. But she's like, well, look, there's a young actor out there who could take in the Robert De Niro role when he was a young man. And you just have Robert De Niro as an old person. Yeah. Are you just saying there is no young actor who's as good as Robert De Niro right now who can do this role? Are you out of your mind? What is wrong with you people? I like I like <laughs> utilizing technology to push boundaries. And I think in that specific case, I'm okay with it. But if you're like showing a character for the first time, it doesn't need to be James Dean. It doesn't need to be oh. Paul Newman. <laughs> Why? I, there was an article like a, years ago, like six or seven years ago, like with uh, Francis Ford Coppola talking about this, where he like wanted to like make movie with all these old movie stars using technology technology or whatever. And you're like, why? Why would you do that? We have all these great movies from these people already. Like there's new people to celebrate. There's new people to get in movies. I mean, not to mention they're all white people. And we already have too many movies starring white people. <laughs> so what's the And it's the problem? consent of the dead too. Like, sure, I, I, if I were a famous movie star and my estate decided to throw me in a movie that I didn't agree to, then it's like my essence, my talent as an actor is being exploited in a way that I have no control over. That's really ridiculous. I, yeah. I'm upset by that too. It's like, where's the soul? What are we we're disrespecting the soul of that individual too? And what about the actor who's going to be in this movie, like doing all the lines, right. acting everything out, saying all the words, and then their face is going to get covered with James Dean's face and their voice is going to be modulated to be James Dean's voice. What about that actor? What about that what the actor? Fuck? <laughs> who's let that actor act the goddamn role? If you're going to cast him in it, like, why does it have to be? J- it's like very enraging first off i'm very angry about this and then it's just like completely like a gimmick who's gonna see this movie can i is it gonna be good no (laughs) can i say though i just to cap off our conversation james dean shares a birthday with my son therefore i wanted to use my son to bring him up and end this because it's just we both hate it we both hate this let's scrap it so whatever what is this movie called (laughs) i don't care it's called piece of crap that's canceled cancel this movie For the love of God, I'm sorry. Filmmakers who put lots of hard work into this and are really excited to make this announcement. You're terrible. Bad idea. Just get just move on to something else. Just let them be dead. Just let them rest in peace. So, Liz, I wanted to talk about something that's really interesting to me is you're in this state of prep for your horror short. You know, I'd been there before as well. Talk to us. I want to know if you can articulate this. What are three tips you are following for your preparation that you think other filmmakers should take to making their own movies? It's funny because my film actually is about someone being brought back from the dead. So this is pretty germane segue right here. (laughs) Tips for prep. I mean... I think obviously departmental meetings are vital. 
and shot listing in advance and location scouting with as many people on your crew as possible. But when you're in a pandemic, you really have to pick and choose what your priorities are. So I can't have everyone at the location scout and I'm using Gigster because no one will let me shoot for free because it is a global pandemic and they don't want strangers in their house who could spread disease. But specific to me and my project, I would say my tips are don't crowdsource notes randomly on your script. I am learning this the hard way. I think I write on Twitter when I'm anxious about something and I basically all say things like, I don't know what to do with my script. And then three really nice random people will be like, I'll read it. And then they'll read it. And I won't prime them with the fact that I think the witch is the protagonist and it's a feminist revenge fantasy. And these arcs need to be present and we can't add more locations. And they'll just send me notes that completely take away the soul of the film. And then you get confused about what you should protect and what you shouldn't protect. So I would say protect your script at all costs when you're in prep. You seem like you're about to say something. I don't know. I did the same thing, yeah. you know, with my feature. I got notes from a lot of actually making movies as hard listeners and other people in my network. Anyone who wanted to read the script, I was like, yeah, here, yeah. here tell me what you think. And it takes a lot of time to go through notes, especially on a feature. And it takes a lot of energy to receive the critical feedback and everything. But I think it's useful if you can stay strong and believe in yes. your original intent, because- I think that's what a little bit happened with my movie was like, I took us some notes that I shouldn't have in the last days before we shot. In the end, the things that I changed didn't end up in the movie. And then things we didn't shoot just didn't get ever get shot, you know? And so now I wonder what would have happened if I would have stuck to my guns and shot this other version of the opening scene or something, but like now it's too late. But so I would just say like, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just think that make sure you're protecting your movie. And then I would also add to that. It's probably not worth it to do it with people you don't know. Right. It's probably better to do it with people that you trust and that you really like their work and you like their opinion Well, because yes. people you don't know, it's like, I know I, I sometimes I get so excited for action for something to happen that I won't be strategic about it. But yesterday I went out to like two very close friends that I trust like writers and they gave me feedback where I live. So that was really helpful. And then I don't know if Tom Harp listens to the podcast, but this lovely man named Tom Harp, and I don't even know how we started following each other on Twitter, spent half an hour on the phone with me and gave me the most helpful notes ever. So I would say while the random notes set me back. They got me in a place where it got me to Tom and my friends that I trusted. So try to be strategic about who you get notes from. Yeah. Don't feel guilty about spending money if you can spend money. I have money set aside for the short, but I've never spent so much money on a short before. And I feel real, mm. real guilty about it. And I feel like the stakes are really high because I've never spent money on a short ever. I did a musical, which you saw for like a thousand dollars total for everything. And now we're going to spend like $20,000 on this short and Mm. half of that money is mine. So Mm. I'm trying to just learn that like I set the money aside. It is money that could be spent. Don't feel guilty about it because ultimately it is an investment in myself and don't think of it as a frivolous waste of time. And that's very, I'm very cheap. So it's very hard for me to accept. And my third note for prep is don't drink any caffeine. I've stopped all (laughs) caffeine (laughs) because I've gone off the deep end whenever I have a sip of it and I just can't do it anymore. So no caffeine unless you need it in your life. Those are my tips. 
Wow, that's awesome. I like that you gave yourself permission to spend money on your short because I did that with a couple of shorts. I spent that amount of money, 20,000 on one yeah. and like 15,000 on another. In the end, you're like, is it really worth it? But I mean, I feel like you gain so much experience from doing a film like that. And especially for me, like having never made a movie, at least with a $20,000 one, that was like my first real movie. It was really worth it. But yeah, I mean, kudos to you for getting $10,000 of OPM, other people's money. That's amazing. Well, it it came through the newsletter. (laughs) People think I'm crazy talking Ah. about newsletters all the time. It's three individuals that I kept coming. One from middle school and then two from my newsletter who were just like, I have extra money. I don't work in a creative field. Take it and don't tell me how you use it. And I was like, you are a dream come true. And they're all men and they're all wonderful men. So thank you. Wonderful men (laughs) for the resources to make the movie. Wow. That's awesome. Well, you know, see, it's like, I mean, I was talking to a filmmaker. He's like, sent me his script. He's like, Ulrich, like, what do you think I should do? Like, how am I going to get this movie made? And I was like, what was your plan? I was going to get a distributor on early before we made the movie and then raise the money that way. I was like, dude, that never works. That'll not work. Even if you raised all the money sometimes, like, it's just not going to happen, dude. And this guy has no money for the movie and he's trying to go to distributors with no money, only made short films, no cast attachments. No. I'm like, dude, that's a waste of time. No. And I'll ask him like what his process for raising money is. And he said, I don't have one. And I was like, yeah, well, you probably should get one, right? <laughs> because that's like that. You have to start with some sort of, even if it's a basic process, you have to start with some kind of process. Well, you kicked him you know? into, you kicked his butt. Like you kicked him into gear. I'm not saying you kicked his butt like you're mean, but you kicked him into gear because I think. I hope so. Very often we don't even know what we don't know. So even just thinking outside of yourself and being like, I have to get money. How do I do that? Even that is really hard to acknowledge that you have to find money. You have to figure it out. You have to yeah. set up a foundation for yourself. I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, I've never spent so much money on anything. And she's like, well, actually Sean said, some people spend $10,000 on a vacation. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like what <laughs> yeah, people spend $10,000 on a vacation, but they do. They do. They certainly do. So there are people out there. People spend them. a lot of money. On, they spend that much on parties, man. It's insane. It's like, you know, it's crazy. Well, I think this has been lovely. I'm trying to think of some other thing to add, but I don't think we should add anything. I think this is good. So to everyone listening, we skipped, you've got mail this week, but you can always send us a question, a comment or a suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We haven't had one for a few months. So we'd love to see one. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Thank you to Juliana and Jenny and their rep, Sissy Cronin, for setting this interview up. Thanks to our new editor, Jeff. Zrymoot. Thanks to everyone for listening and talk to all of y'all next week. Hearing all the things you're saying about genre and how Ted Raimi is going to be there and Bruce Campbell is going to be at Screamfest and all these things. I was like, that sounds really fun. My friend just came back. Scarefest. Oh, sorry. Scarefest. Scarefest. Screamfest is a much better horror film festival that I did not get into, just for the record. Didn't get but Scarefest sounds pretty cool, too. Scarefest is very cool.